Well, hello. You're listening to the Jazz Focus, and my name is John Clark. Happy to be with you today. Happy you're with me. And uh, we're going to be listening to some music uh, that is jazz-influenced today. Certainly has some great jazz solos on it. Might not be familiar to you um, if you're not uh, a devotee of the British dance bands. Uh, There was a very active scene, jazz scene, in England in the late 1920s, all the way through the 30s, up until World War II, uh, that kind of parallel to the American uh, dance band scene, maybe a little bit uh, behind it, I suppose, since uh, in America that was the driving force, and uh, in England they were waiting for the recordings, and then eventually for bands to tour over there. There was a problem with the uh, union restrictions in Great Britain for having American musicians come over as of about the mid-30s. In the early 30s, you had bands like, um, well, Louis Armstrong and uh, Duke Ellington, and in the 1920s, Ted Lewis, Paul Whiteman, they came over and did very successful, very influential tours in uh, the United Kingdom and touring onto the continent of Europe as well. But in the early 30s, uh, probably about 1933, 34, somewhere around there, the uh, British version of the Musicians Union passed some laws saying that uh, American bands could not come over in their entirety when there were British bands that could be employed. So after a certain point, uh, only American soloists came over. So we had people like Coleman Hawkins and Benny Carter and uh, uh, great soloists, uh, African-American and white uh, players as well, come over and tour with British bands. But the British bands themselves were quite good. Uh, there were a number of uh, wonderful hotel bands that were active in London in the 1930s, really from the 1920s, middle 1920s on, that featured great soloists and at least uh, in the late 1920s featured some American musicians as well. And we're going to be probably looking at a uh, couple of those in a future podcast. Our focus today is on a band called the New Mayfair Dance Orchestra. And this was a group that existed only for recordings. It was called a studio band at the time. In the 1920s, actually before the 1920s, in the 1910s, this was a group that uh, was around uh, to make records of popular tunes, ragtime tunes, marches, so forth. They were attached to what came to be known as HMV, His Master's Voice, which was part of uh, what came to be known as RCA Victor and Victor Recordings. And the series of recordings by the New Mayfair Orchestra languished a little bit in 19, after 1921, but was revived in 1928. And uh, it was directed by a man who also had a very popular dance band named Carol Gibbons. And some of those early recordings are really quite jazzy from 1928 to 29 or so and feature some great musicians like the Payne Brothers, Norman and Laurie Payne. Norman was a fine, underrated cornet player in the Bix Beiderbeck style, and Laurie Payne was a, an excellent musician uh, on saxophone and clarinet. We'll be hearing from him a little bit later. In 1929, Carol Gibbons uh, stepped aside or was pushed aside, I don't know which, but his place was taken as the director of the new Mayfair Orchestra by Ray Noble. Ray Noble was a pianist and an arranger. He had won some uh, magazine contests in England as uh, an up-and-coming arranger for dance band music, and he was given the job, uh, or won the job, as the director of this recording band. Now, the musicians he used in the new Mayfair Orchestra were the top musicians from the dance bands in the hotel uh, bands in London, bands led by um, uh, Ambrose, Bert Ambrose, by uh, uh, Lou Stone, uh, Roy Fox, the Savoy Hotel or fans. All of these groups were very popular among the, uh, the, the, the trendy crowd in London who would go out to supper clubs and tea dances and so forth, and they were uh, dancing to and listening to the music that these bands were making, which were very much influenced, the music was very much influenced by American dance bands of the time as was the repertoire, as we will see. Now, in America, these studio bands that existed to play popular tunes generally played from stock arrangements that had been published by the big music publishers in New York as a way to publicize the tunes in themselves and so on and so forth. Uh, In England, it was a little bit different. Ray Noble, being in charge of the new Mayfair Dance Orchestra, was tasked with creating new arrangements of popular tunes. And his arranging style was really... uh, very advanced uh, for the late 1920s and into the 30s. He directed this group from 1929 to 1934, um, at which point he and a couple of his key members, we'll talk about them, went to the United States and started a band there. And the Ray Noble Orchestra in 1934, 5, and 6 was a very, very fine group that featured some up-and-coming swing stars as well. But we're focusing on the music that he made before he left England. So, 
without further ado, I think we're just going to jump into four tunes by the new Mayfair Dance Orchestra. And I picked some from the sort of the middle period and the later period, I guess. Uh, all four of these tunes, indeed all of the tunes we're going to listen to today, feature the talents of Al Boley. Al Boley was a wonderful singer. He was a crooner, um, but he had a lot more going for him than the usual crooner. In fact, I would say he was on a par with Bing Crosby. He had a similar type of voice and a kind of a casual quality that, um, that, that sort of undercut his professionalism. He was a guitarist. He had been in dance bands that had toured all over, uh, all the way to India, in fact. I think that's where he made his first recordings. Al Boley was born in South Africa in 1898 and uh, was a peripatetic musician until he landed back in London in about 1929 or 1930. Uh, he was immediately uh, taken on, or almost immediately taken on, by Ray Noble. Um, he, at the time, was singing with the Roy Fox Band, which became the Lou Stone Band a little bit later and uh, his uh, career really was launched by these recordings. These were very, very popular recordings, ones done by the new Mayfair Orchestra, and Al Boley quickly became the centerpiece of uh, most of these arrangements. There were instrumentals that were done, and Ray Noble did use some other vocalists here and there, but uh, Boley was by far the most featured and uh, the most popular as well, and he was one of the musicians who went to the United States with Ray Noble in 1934. So the four tunes that we're going to hear right now, and I'll tell you the personnels after we finish that and come back, we have It's Great to Be in Love and The Blues in My Heart, Benny Carter's tune, Blues in My Heart, uh, personally my favorite version of this tune. They both come from February 12th of 1932. Then we have a Hoagy Carmichael tune, One Morning in May from April 5th of 1934, and Over My Shoulder from July 2nd of 1934. That was one of the last tunes that Ray Noble and Al Boley recorded before they left to go back to, or to go to the United States. So those are our four tunes right now. It's Great to Be in Love, Blues in My Heart, One Morning in May, and Over My Shoulder. Thank you. 
that you say we're through I'm left with a blues in my heart How can I smile When love don't seem worthwhile I'm left with a blues in my heart How can I live What is there life can give As long as we're apart How can I go Knowing that you are gone Oh, now I'm left with a blues in my
Four tunes by the New Mayfair Dance Orchestra, led by Ray Noble. Sometimes these recordings were put out under the title of Ray Noble and His Orchestra. That's how um, recognizable Ray Noble's uh, name had become. He didn't lead an orchestra in person in any hotel, as far as I know, in, in um, England. It, that was didn't happen until he came to New York and actually led a band at the Rainbow Room, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So first up, we heard It's Great to Be in Love and Blues in My Heart from February 12th of 1932. It's Great to Be in Love was by Cliff Friend, and Blues in My Heart was a Benny Carter song. That's As I said, that was my favorite version of that uh, Benny Carter song. Very atmospheric. Uh, the first tune, It's Great to Be in Love, featured very nice work by the saxophone section. Um, very impressive uh, writing and very impressive playing as well. The British uh, bands were extremely uh, talented in that way. They were very precise. These were men who played dance band music and who were really crack professionals in terms of reading music and so forth. And there were some fine soloists as well. We heard on that first tune and in some obligato work in the second one, uh, Max Goldberg, who had been born in Canada but uh, did most of his professional work in the 20s and 30s in England on trumpet. And he played with a number of bands. He ended up uh, moving to Australia, I think, in the 1940s. Uh, 
And we also heard uh, Lori Payne, whom I mentioned earlier, on clarinet and alto on that second uh, tune, The Blues in My Heart. Also to be noticed is the bass, uh, that nice four-beat bass on It's Great to Be in Love, which wasn't happening all that much even in America at the time. Uh, the bass player was a man named uh, Jimmy Winters, I believe, at that point. Uh, there was another bass player who was used a little bit later, Tiny uh, Winters. I don't know if they were the same person or not, to be honest with you. So the discographies are a little bit... Um, fudgy in that uh, in that area with nicknames and so forth. So also in this band at the time, Max Goldberg and a fellow honestly named Bill Shakespeare on trumpet, Tony Thorpe was the trombone player, Laurie Payne was playing lead alto, and I should point out he's playing alto and clarinet and baritone saxophone on uh, a couple of the next tunes and, and uh, moving forward we'll hear how important the baritone sax was not only as a solo instrument but in the ensemble as well uh, to Ray Noble's uh, writing and that's, that's an important tone color for him. We heard Bob Wise on clarinet and alto, Harry Burley was on tenor sax, sometimes played violin and viola. Harry Jacobson was a piano player who played th for most of the uh, Ray Noble recordings. Ben Thomas on guitar, as I mentioned. Uh, Jimmy slash Tiny Winters on bass. And Bill Hardy on drums. Bill Hardy was another fellow who uh, shows up on all of these Ray Noble recordings. He was a uh, kind of the right-hand man for Ray Noble and went to was the third member of the trio who went to America in 1934. Ray Noble, Al Boley, and Bill Hardy. Bill Hardy's drumming was not the most inspired from a jazz point of view, and some of the American musicians complained quite lustily about him, but he was Ray Noble's manager at the time and remained his manager until 1950, um, and his playing had a, has a period charm to it as well. So we finished off that set with two tunes, as I said, from 1934, April and July. We heard uh, Hoagie Carmichael's very interesting and kind of elaborate tune, One Morning in May, followed by a Harry Woods tune called Over My Shoulder, all of these featuring Al Boley. We also heard some nice clarinet uh, by Freddie Gardner on One Morning in May, and another feature for the saxophone section on Over My Shoulder. And... Uh, this band was slightly different, but not uh, not too much, I guess. We heard, as I said, Freddie Gardner, who by that point had taken the place of Laurie Payne. Um, there were three lead alto players during Ray Noble's tenure. Freddie Gardner, who uh, was a relatively young player. In fact, he was um, more or less discovered by Ray Noble and brought into this band. An excellent musician whose style tended to uh, incline more towards classical or towards the novelty saxophone of Rudy Weedoft. Um, and he made some very... Um, uh, commercially successful recordings after World War II. He died quite young, actually, in 1950. He uh, had a heart attack while he was fixing uh, a bicycle for his son. He lived from 1910 to 1950, did a lot of recording in the 1930s, not only with Ray Noble, but with Sidney Lipton and Burt Furman's bands. And he was also the choice of Benny Carter um, and, uh, at one point, Coleman Hawkins to be in their bands when they recorded in England. And as I said, uh, Lori Payne on the first two, um, both of those musicians played alto, clarinet, and baritone, and we'll hear a little bit from uh, another lead alto player, Ernest Rite. I think that's how you pronounce his name, R-I-T-T-E, uh, Rite, or Rita, I suppose, um, and he uh, is also a soloist, we'll hear about in a minute. So we're going to go on to four more tunes right now. Uh, the first one is just about the earliest tune we're going to listen to, or one of the earliest tunes. It's from November of 1931, and it's a Noel Coward tune called The 20th Century Blues. And we'll talk about that when we get to the other side. And another jaunty tune after that um, uh, called A Couple of Fools in Love from May of 19, or rather June of 1933. Then back to June of 1931, we'll hear Lazy Day, which was composed by an English songwriting team of George... Posford and Earl Martin. Um, on the sheet music, it uh, lists American lyrics and British lyrics. I'm not sure which this is. I would assume the English lyrics by Earl Martin. Gus Kahn supplied some American lyrics as well. And then we'll finish off that set with a Har another Harry Woods tune called You Ought to See Sally on Sunday from December of 1933. So those are our four tunes coming up right now. Uh, the 20th Century Blues, A Couple of Fools in Love, Lazy Day, and You Ought to See Sally on Sunday.
are getting me down Oh, escape those dreary 20th century blues Why, if there's a God in the sky Why shouldn't he grin Up high Above this dreary 20th century din In this strange illusion Chaos and confusion People seem to lose their way What is there to strive for Love or keep alive for Say hey hey Call it a day Blues Nothing to win or to lose It's getting me down Who's escaped those dreary 20th century blues? understand that life is just grand to a couple of fools in love. About I'm watching the clouds go by. 
watching the blue in the sky. Lazy day, I'll dream for hours of you. Lazy day, I'll tell the flowers of you I'm whispering to the breeze. Carving your name on trees, now I'll stay. Counting the sheep all day You may happen along Singing a song that way Lazy day If you could care for me Lazy day If you were there for me We'd love all the hours away
Well, there you have some hot playing by the new Mayfair Dance Orchestra. You ought to see Sally on Sunday. And uh, as I said, that was a tune by Harry Woods. Harry Woods was an American composer who... Uh, did things like uh, Try a Little Tenderness, which Ray Noble also recorded, and I'll Never Say Never Again Again, and quite a few other uh, tunes that you might be familiar with. And somehow they made their way across the Atlantic, and Ray Noble uh, arranged a number of them. And as I said, Noble was the arranger for these. He uh, he was not working, as far as I can tell anyway, from stock arrangements or previous recordings. He, these were all um, arrangements that were, 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 were newly minted for these recording sessions. I don't know if they ever were played again. I don't know whatever happened to them. be interesting... If there's an archive of this someplace, uh, Noble's main job was creating these arrangements and directing recording sessions. And he did at least one every month or so, I think, during his tenure uh, at uh, HMV. Not only backing Al Boley or having Al Boley in his band, he did instrumentals. He uh, backed other singers like Jack Buchanan and even Paul Robeson on recordings as well. So, we'll go backwards this time. You ought to see Sally on Sunday from December 20th of 1933. This is the first tune where we get to hear the trumpet of Nat Ganella, who was one of the finest of the British jazz musicians of the 1930s. He lived from 1908 to 1998, a very long life. He had been playing with Billy Cotton's band, um in the late 1920s, and he was hired by a number of uh, dance bands during the 1930s, including Lou Stone. And uh, Lou Stone's band um, had a small group uh, that was active within it called the Georgians, and uh, Nat Canella led that group and recorded it as well. Um, he also took that group out on the road without uh, Lou Stone's band and uh, made a series of great recordings, including his signature tune, which was called uh, Georgia on My Mind, of course, by Hoagie Carmichael. And we heard him play the very Louis Armstrong-sounding type of solo on You Ought to See Sally on Sunday. We also heard uh, what I consider a little bit of a mystery. Uh, I've always assumed that the lead alto player played the uh, alto solos and the baritone sax solos, but on this particular one, and uh, possibly on A Couple of Fools in Love, which we heard a couple of tunes earlier, it might be different players. I don't see how uh, one person could switch horns that quickly, um, and I don't think they did. So it's possible the alto solos were by Bob Wise, who was a uh, regular member of the of the New Mayfair Recording Orchestra as well, and uh, with Laurie Payne in this case, uh, playing the baritone sax solo. On You Ought to See Sally on Sunday, Al Boley gives out a, a comment to the effect of play it high, Freddie, which was Freddie Gardner, um, who was the lead alto player, but it's right between the two alto and baritone solos, so I'm not entirely sure if it were high, or apparently it would be the alto solo, but... Who knows these things? We also heard Lou Davis on trombone backing up the vocal, uh, Al Boley's vocal on You Ought to See Sally. He was an exceptionally fine trombone player from this period uh, who had uh, also a long career, played with a lot of the dance bands. He... Um, Lived from 1903 to 1986. He played with uh, Ambrose's band, Jack Hilton's band, the Loose Stone band, and also the Savoy Orphans, but he made a lot of recordings from about 1933 uh, on with the new Mayfair band, even after um, Ray Noble left. So before You Ought to See Sally, we heard from May, uh, or rather June of 1931, we heard Lazy Day, featuring a different trombone player, Tony Thorpe, who was also on most of the recordings. He played uh, the solos in the early days, and then when Lou Davis came, he took the solos. But Tony Thorpe is featured on Lazy Day. Before that, we heard A Couple of Fools in Love, a very uh, bouncy performance, very British um, uh, by a man named, I think it was Martin Bruns, a uh, British composer, and uh, that featured another alto solo, possibly by Bob Wise, and a baritone sax solo by Freddie Payne, also uh, Max Goldberg on trumpet. Now, any of the trumpet solos you hear that uh, utilize the plunger mute are probably by Max Goldberg, who was known as a mute specialist. If Nat Ganella was on the date, then he played the open trumpet solos. And we started out that set with a kind of an unusual tune by Noel Coward, the 20th Century Blues. Very urbane, as you might expect from Noel Coward. And this was done with a small group from the new Mayfair band. It was only Matt, uh, or excuse me, um, Max Goldberg on trumpet and Laurie Payne on clarinet, uh, with a little saxophone in there as well. And the rhythm section, we had Jack Evetts on bass, Bill Hardy on drums, Bert Thomas on guitar, although Al Boley is credited with playing some guitar as well. There's a nice little section where he sings with just guitar accompaniment, who must have been the other guitar player, I imagine. And then two pianos, Harry Jacobson and Ray Noble. So Ray Noble may have been doing a little playing on his own recording here, which was unusual for him. 
Before we go on to the next uh, series of tunes, I should mention how I got into this. I uh, was introduced to Ray Noble and Al Boley by a, an old uh, collector of recordings I happened to meet on a job that I had in high school, actually sitting in, a, in, a, in an empty store waiting for it to go out of business, a dress goods store, and this older gentleman used to come in and, and, and buy random pieces of dress fabric, and I found out later he was um, not crazy. He was uh, actually doing art projects and matting sheet music onto uh, dress fabric, which actually came out quite nice. They were uh, very nice pieces of work. Anyway, he was a big fan of the British dance bands. His name was Richard Mellor, and he wrote a, a couple of guides to British dance band music. I ended up getting friendly with him, and he gave me several cassettes. This was back in the cassette days of this music, and I've loved it ever since. So I have to say... Uh, Thank you to the memory of Richard Meller. I ended up with a big part of his record collection, too. Uh, he, uh, after he passed away, his family sold it to a record dealer uh, in the town I grew up in, and I just randomly happened to go in the day that uh, they were starting to sell it, and I picked up quite a bunch of them. And some of the recordings we're hearing today, I've taken off the recordings, because not all of them have been re-released on CD. Most of them have, though. So we're going to go on to uh, four more tunes. The first one is a great tune called Seven Years with the Wrong Woman, a nice bluesy tune for Al Boley. This is from 1933. Then a movie tune called You Ought to Be in Pictures, featuring some great baritone sax from 1934. Uh, a tune that was new in 1931 when it was recorded called Roll On Mississippi, well known to uh, jazz fans on this side of the Atlantic for the version by um, uh, Fletcher Henderson's band. And then we're going to finish with a tune for this set called Making Wiki down in Waikiki, and this shows a lot of Al Boley's uh, range here. He um, really uh, could sing a lot of different things. As I said, I, I think he was the equal of Bing Crosby in terms of uh, range and vocal uh, styles and connection to the audience and so forth. He could sing dramatic, he could sing bluesy tunes, he could sing light and peppy ones, comedy numbers. There are a number of recordings of him singing uh, duets with female singers, and then of course he went on and did film um, or movie music a little bit later on. Uh, his career uh, took a little bit of a, of a back turn and when he went to America. The uh, English audience has kind of forgot about him in the three years he was in the United States. After he returned, he started uh, building up his uh, clientele again and making great recordings, including some duo recordings with the pianist Monia Liter, um, and was poised to make a, a comeback during the World War II years, and he actually was killed in the Blitz. He uh, uh, died in his sleep when a, a German bomb exploded just outside of his window, which is a tragic end for a very talented singer. So right now we're going to go on to these three or four tunes right now. Seven Years with the Wrong Woman, You Ought to Be in Pictures, Roll on Mississippi, and Making Wicky Wacky Down in Waikiki. Seven years with the wrong woman Is more than a man can stand Seven years with the wrong woman To wreck most any good man Seven years with the wrong woman It's the same in the mountain all day Stay awake all night Trying to start a fight Then have you thrown into jail Punishment that is bad. Seven years with the wrong woman will drive most any man mad. When you've married the wrong woman, there is only one thing you can do give yourself a hole and crawl into that hole and pull the ground all over you. 
by seven hours with the right woman, boy, that's a different thing. Seven hours with the right woman, you feel grand, you feel great, why it makes you feel like a king. Seven hours with the right woman, you'll soon understand that the things that are good, why they never last as they should. But there's never an end to the bad boy, that's why it makes those seven hours good. Yes, sir. to be in pictures, how beautiful you would be. Your voice would thrill a nation, your face would be adored. You'd make a great sensation with wealth and fame, your reward. And if you should kiss the way you kiss when we are all alone, you'd make every girl a man a fan worshipping at your throne. Daddy, 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 you ought to shine as brightly as Jupiter and Mars. You ought to be in pictures, my star of stars.
Down in Waikiki, oh, the whole of dances, the sure good news. So joy dispensers, a cure for blues. It's absolutely the place to be. Making wiki wacky down in Waikiki. No evening clothes, anything goes, believe it or not. And when the night shadows fall, that's when they all get in hot. On the ukuleles, they use the moonbeams to light the night. And every tune seems to sound just right. It's absolutely the place to be. Making wiki wacky down in Waikiki.
Darn it, I'm mad. Who walks in when I walk out? And who gives you that hidey high, baby? Who said who's got me jealous of you? Hmm. Who walks in when I walk out? Come tell me now. Don't you know you're my baby? Who said who's got me very worried, too? Yeah, badly. When we kiss, I kind of miss that something that used to be. Because every day while I'm away, I know you're going uptown when I'm out of town. Now, who walks in when I walk out? And who gives you that high, high bit? Who's that who's got me awfully jealous? Mm, the dog. That's a good way to end that uh, nice uh, swingy shout chorus on the end of that last tune, which was Who Walks In When I Walk Out, composed by Goodhart Hoffman and Freed. And we heard a, another Al Hoffman tune uh, right before that, Making Wicky Wacky Down in Waikiki. And both of those tunes, of course, feature Al Boley with the new Mayfair Dance Orchestra, directed by Ray Noble. Some great arrangements on there and some interesting violin playing in solo and obligato to the vocals. And that, as far as I know, those were done by uh, a man named Eric. Eric Siday, S-I-D-A-Y, who played on most of the Noble Sessions during this period. He later moved to New York and became uh, a pioneer in the electroacoustic movement in concert music and uh, composed classical pieces and so forth. He also composed commercial music. He was responsible for the Maxwell House percolator commercial um, and the, the, the sound of the, the coffee percolating there, of all things. So he was a, an interesting character as well. We heard a lot of Freddie Gardner on those sessions, some alto and baritone. I don't know which he played. I think he played the alto, and I don't know if that leaves Bob Wise on baritone or not. Um, also some good clarinet playing on those last two numbers, which I think might have been by Freddie Gardner as well. We even heard a little bit of a tenor sax solo on Who Walks In by Reg Pink, uh, who not regularly featured in the band, but um, a little bit here and there. Making Wiki Wacky in Waikiki, down in Waikiki was from 1931, uh, featured all of the above, along with um, a trumpet solo, I believe, by um, Max Goldberg in that case. Uh, neat tune that had been recorded by Sophie Tucker in the 1920s. Those are the only uh, well-known recordings of that particular tune, but uh, kind of a, a neat little piece of Hawaiian ephemera, I guess. Before that, we heard Roll On Mississippi, which, as I said, was a tune that Fletcher Henderson had recorded right about the same time, in fact, um, composed by West McCaffrey and Ringle. This tune, or this version of this tune, was not based on the stock arrangement, although Noble may have taken a couple of ideas from it, uh, um, but a very, very original arrangement featuring not only Al Boley, who doesn't come in until the last half of the last chorus, but a vocal trio, which was popular in England in the 1930s, called the Three Ginks, or Jinx, I'm not sure which it is, G-I-N-X, and in ref uh, referring to my Dictionary of British Slang, uh, a gink, which I guess is the singular, 
father uh, is a pejorative for a fellow um, or possibly derived from uh, the Scottish, which was a term of reproach applied to a woman. And the plural G-I-N-X, ginx, uh, could have been uh, an unwanted child. How this figures into uh, the three uh, fellows we heard singing Roll on Mississippi, I don't know. But they were actually quite a popular act uh, before migrating, I think, to Canada in the early 1940s. So good good band there. We uh, uh, heard prior to that, You Ought to Be in Pictures, composed by the uh, female composer Dana Suess, uh, S-U-E-S-S-E, who also was a classical composer. She composed uh, a few popular numbers, including this one, You Ought to Be in Pictures, and My Silent Love, and uh, that features a lot of solos um, by uh, uh, Nat Ganella on trumpet, baritone sax again, Lou Davis on trombone, who's featured throughout this set, especially on Who Walks In When I Walk Out, a really fine trombone player, and another violin solo. And then we started out with a, a, a neat little comedy tune called Seven Years with the Wrong Woman by Bob Miller. And uh, that featured uh, a few solos as well, including a clarinet solo by an otherwise unfeatured performer. He only made this one date, I believe, with the Ray Noble band, Nat Temple on clarinet. And also some uh, Lou Davis on trombone as well. So that is our salute to the new Mayfair Dance Orchestra, directed by Ray Noble and featuring Al Boley on vocals. A really remarkable band, especially considering the fact that they didn't work together outside of the studio. They would come together and uh, rehearse and then uh, record Ray Noble's original arrangements of these tunes. Al Boley had to um, assimilate uh, some of these uh, arrangements, which were pretty tricky and had some fairly complicated background figures, which singers tend not to like, but uh, very jazzy in their way and featuring some very, very fine soloists who were not, uh, with the exception of Nat Ganella, I suppose, not known as jazz soloists. Um, but we can tell a high degree of professionalism among these musicians, these British dance band musicians in the 1930s. So you've been listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Hope you've enjoyed this program. I've certainly enjoyed it. This has been music that I've really loved since I was in high school, of all things. Um, not many high school kids were listening to Ray Noble's uh, New Mayfair Dance Orchestra in the 1980s, but hey, here we are. So I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, and lots more recordings of, of this band. I think there are something like 12 CDs out of the Ray Noble and Al Boley uh, recordings, and then there, probably there are a number more that could be released of the instrumentals and Ray Noble recordings with other bands, or with other singers as well. And then there's a whole CD's worth of material of his American band, which featured, among others, Pee Wee Irwin, Bud Freeman, Glenn Miller, Will Bradley, Claude Thornhill, Johnny Mintz, really fine group there as well. So, hope you uh, continue to listen to the Jazz Focus podcast. Uh, we will continue to make these, and if you're inclined, hope you think about sponsoring us as well. So, thank you again, and see you on the other side.